All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. The coffee bar is back. Some of you came to church praying that God would show you a sign that he loves you. I present to you the coffee bar, all right? It is the sixth love language. Anybody have the love language of coffee? Is that? Tends to help the words of affirmation flow, I feel. I see. The physical touch too sometimes, but uh, if the caffeine is high. That's an inappropriate, we're going to stay on track here. This is going live. Cut to the B-feed, cut to the B-feed. All right, this is week five, week five of five of this sermon series. I am so grateful for this opportunity uh, to, to share these, these words with you. If today goes really well, I have a preacher option for a week six in the contract. Uh, but no, this is week five of five. We've been talking about this reality of what it means to be a people created on purpose, to live with purpose in every arena of life. We've talked about this reality we began five weeks ago with Ephesians 2 verse 10, where, we, where the scriptures say that you are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for us to do. Now I know a lot of us sitting here, we don't feel like masterpieces. But Jesus is in the business of restoring masterpieces. Takes time. Takes time to to get rid of the dust, to get rid of the dirt, to get rid of the scratches and the nicks. But for us church to understand this morning that we are his masterpiece, that we are created in his image. Which means that if we want the world to see God, we have to allow the world to see us. Not the fake version of us, not the covered up, insecure version of us, but the true version of us, the masterpiece. And we've looked together over the last five weeks, we looked at identity and we looked at Moses asking the question, who am I? We looked at the power of our stories, we looked at Hagar answering the question from God, where are you from? We looked at the life of Joseph and David about how we so often bury our talents and our heart and that it is our job to unearth what has been buried. And we looked last week at surrender through the life of Joshua of what does it mean to be a people who say that the only kingdom in the universe that advances through surrender is the kingdom of God. That every other kingdom in the universe surrender means the end of life but in the kingdom of God surrender is the beginning of life. And this morning We're going to move from Moses to Hagar, from Joseph and David to Joshua into the life of Jesus. And I want to invite you this morning to join with Jesus in the river, to join with him in the wilderness, and to join with him in the garden. We're going to learn what it looks like to follow his life of purpose through identity, through surrender, and through an impact that goes on and on and on. You see, we began with this quote from Henry David Thoreau that over 200 years ago when he said, the mass of humanity lead lives of quiet desperation and die with the song still in their hearts. And over 2,000 years ago, Jesus showed up on planet Earth to turn the quiet desperation into lives of anthemic worship. That he showed up born of a virgin born into poverty, born in the midst of a genocide, born against all odds, stepping into human history to give us a future we never could have imagined. 
And this morning, I want to begin by stepping with Jesus into the river. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 3 says this, beginning in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the voice of the he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it to all of you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. So this morning, I want to talk with you about what it looks like to live a life of purpose where we choose as people to follow Jesus into the river, to follow him into the wilderness, and to follow him into the garden. In Matthew 3 and, and, Matthew 3 and 4, I want to first draw out four lessons for us that are instructive for us about what it means to be people who follow Jesus, to be people who live lives of purpose and intention and impact. The first thing we see in Matthew chapter 3 is this, your identity is affirmed by God. See, for 30 years, Jesus lived a life of anonymity, and then he stepped into the river, came out of the river, and the voice from heaven says, this is my dearly beloved son, in him I am well pleased. Now, Jesus hadn't achieved anything by this point in his life. He hadn't built a successful business, he hadn't launched a successful church, he wasn't famous, he hadn't written a book, he hadn't gone on a speaking tour. He had achieved none of those things. And yet he comes up out of the river and God says, this is my son. Because his identity wasn't based on what he would achieve, his identity was based on who he belonged to. And church, we can spend so much of our time pursuing affirmation from others and from God by trying to achieve, by trying to strive, by trying to get our bank account to a certain number, by trying to get our position to a certain level. And sometimes what we need to do is learn to step into the river and die to ourselves. That as we come up out of that place, we hear his voice saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. See, it reminds me of this story where the disciples come to Jesus and they're asking him the question that still 2,000s of years later we're asking him, do we have to pay taxes, Right? Some of us showed up this morning being like, I got to get an answer to that question. I know. Jesus, one more time, please, for the people in the back. Do we have to pay taxes? 
And Jesus says, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin. He says, whose image and inscription is this? They say, it is Caesar's. And Jesus says, then give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. Church, we do not bear the image of Caesar. We bear the image of God. That is what it means to be his masterpiece. And so it is time for us to have that identity affirmed and then give to God the things that belong to God. Because for us to have our identity affirmed, we remember with the life of Moses when God invites him into the vision and his response in Exodus chapter three is, who am I? Why? Because we will never know why we are here until we first know who we are. And we will find out who we are by knowing whose we are, that we belong to him. So our identity is affirmed by him. Lesson number two is this, your identity will be challenged. He comes up out of the river and God says, this is my dearly loved son. And then in Matthew 4, three times, the tempter, Satan says, if you are the son, if you are the son, if you are the son. That we should expect our identity to be challenged. That these words come from the tempter to twist the purpose and intention of his identity. And some of us, we might be sat here still living a life based on the accusations and challenges that came at us 10, 20, 30 years ago. When somebody said, if that's really who you are, if, that's real, if you're really a follower of Jesus, if you're really a good person, if you're really a leader, surely you'll do this. And these are twisted words that are twisting us from the unique identity and unique purpose that God has invited us into. But his identity is confirmed and affirmed and then his identity is challenged. And the third point is this, is that if we are going to step into purpose, we must first be a people who step into the river. Now what does that mean? That might be literal or figurative for you. This is this picture of the place of baptism. This is something that when God through Moses led his people from slavery in Egypt into the promised land. He takes them out of Egypt. They come running. They come up to the Red Sea. There's this barrier from their old life to their new life. There's a big ocean in the middle. And God parts it so they can walk through. And as they get onto the other side, the waters close and bury their captives, bury, bury the slave traders, bury their enemies. It's this picture. It says in the New Testament, it's God baptized them. And for us to learn to step into the river is to say, if we're going to take hold of all that he has for us over here, we must first learn to let go of everything that has been holding on to us. And so to step into the river is to step into this picture of dying to ourself. It's to step into this picture of surrender. That as we said last week, if we will take care of the death, he will take care of the resurrection. But we have to be a people who choose to step into the river and let go of the things that are holding on to us so that we can take hold of the things that he has for us. So church, this morning, I want to invite you to consider, is there anything that you need to step into the river and let go of? And the fourth point is this, is that temptation will always attack provision, protection, and the throne. See, he comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, then provide for yourself. Turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself off the mountain. You'll be protected. If you are the son of God, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth, but you just have to bow down to me. And it's this invitation, church, for us to consider for ourselves these three questions. Who is your provider? Who is your protector? And who is your king? 
See, when it comes to living a life of purpose, when we think about provision, who is my provider? We have to, at some point in our lives, settle the questions of provision and money. We have to settle the questions of who is providing for these purposes and these promises. Can I rely on him to provide for me? Or am I striving? Am I striving so that I become the provider? So that I become the one who is is bringing all of this ego, bringing all of this pride and saying I provided for myself. Now I get it. I get there are arenas of life where we are called to be providers, be protectors, be leaders in our families, in our homes, etc. But this is about the questions beyond that, the questions over all of that. Which says, can we be a people who learn the reality that to step into purpose, we must step into his provision. Say, God, I want what you have, not what I can generate. The second point is this, is who is your protector? Which is, when you think of the life of Jesus and you think about how he was, like, church, he was crucified for blasphemy. That's a legal impossibility for God, just so you know, okay? I did some law courses at grad school. I checked it out, right? God cannot be guilty of blasphemy. He's, he's crucified for crimes that he didn't commit. And the people, as, as Jesus walks through his life, think about all of the challenges to his identity, right? He does this miracle and the people want to make him a king. He says, before Abraham was, I am, and they want to kill him. They, he comes into Jerusalem on a donkey and they say, Hosanna in the highest, here he is. And then just a few days later, they want to kill him again. Why? Because Jesus did not allow his identity to be protected by men and women. His identity was protected by God. His purpose was protected by God. And for us, we have to learn what it looks like to surrender our need to control, surrender our desire to protect our reputation, our identity, our money, our resources, and instead say, God, you are my protector. And the last lesson is this from Matthew 3 and 4 about who is your king. The culture of a kingdom is set by the king. Show me the culture of your kingdom and I'll show you who your king is. If your kingdom has a culture of greed and insecurity, you can bet that money and control are on the throne. If the culture of your kingdom has a culture of bitterness and violence and jealousy, you can bet that anger and unforgiveness are on the throne. Church, we need to be a people who choose to have him on the throne. Because you see, in Matthew 4, Satan comes to him and Satan says, you can have all the kingdoms of the world as long as I can have the throne. And Jesus says it doesn't work like that. Whoever has the throne has the kingdom. And I don't know about you, but for too long I found myself on the throne. I don't make a good king. Talk about the madness of King George. I know you got rid of him. The madness of King David is even worse, right? Now, you guys don't do kings over here. I get it. You, well, not yet, at least. Maybe and again. We'll see. There's time. There's time. Why do you think I'm here? <laughs> Just that's all. But the reality is, church, for so many of us, I, I'm, so you are a masterpiece, but you are not to be the king and the queen of your kingdom. That the relationship that you and I have to the throne is not to be sitting on the throne, but is to be kneeling before the throne. Say, God, I want your kingdom. And if it's his kingdom, then he is the king. 
And so church, we, we navigate this territory of moving with him into the river and moving with him into the wilderness. And then we come into this place of the river and the wilderness and then we move into the garden. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to following Jesus, there are places where I feel comfortable following him. Following him into the river, I, I might be able to come out of the baptism on, on a Sunday morning at church and I get a round of applause and it feels good. And if you're below a certain age, you get a prize as well, uh, which creates sort of a challenging incentive structure in my household because then everyone wants to get baptized and you're like, okay, um, when, the, when the prizes are too good, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not, knocking, I'm not mocking what it looks like to step into baptism, I'm not, but there's a reality in my life where I've learned what it means to step into the river at times. But sometimes... I've learned what it means to step into the wilderness, but sometimes I'm not prepared to step into the garden. See, the garden is the garden of Gethsemane. It's in Matthew 26. If you have your Bibles from verse 36, Matthew 26 is where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane just means the olive press. It's a place of squeezing. It's a place of tension. It's a place of pressing where life is squeezed out. And in Matthew 26 from verse 36, it says this, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. He said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest, but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So to join him in the garden is to join him in a place of loneliness and surrender. We see his humanity so beautifully, right, in verse 42, where basically he's praying, God, is there any other way? We see this man who has lived a life for the first 30 years of anonymity and then the next three years, this life of service and sacrifice and surrender. And as he kneels in the garden, he's praying, not my will, but your will be done. You see, church, for us to join him in the river is to choose his voice over your voice. His voice over your Identity, his voice over your purpose, his voice over your finances, his voice over your relationships. That's what it means to join him in the river, that his voice becomes more powerful than my voice. To join him in the wilderness is to choose his kingdom over my kingdom. And to join him in the garden is to choose his will over my will. See, that's what it That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that we don't get to stop in the river. We don't get to stop in the wilderness. We we have to move through and come to a place in the garden 
where we say, God, I choose your voice over my voice. I choose your kingdom over my kingdom. I choose your will over my will. There's this story in 2 Samuel 15 where King David is on the run. He's on the run because his son Absalom is trying to chase him down and kill him, right? You thought you had father-son issues, right? This is this thing where King, it's like an episode of Jerry Springer, right? There's bring out the son and he's trying to kill the father. We need Dr. Phil, we need Oprah, we need the whole, we need all the heavies in to deal with this mess, right? It's chaotic in 2 Samuel 15. And David is on the run and Absalom is pursuing him and things don't look good for David. And one of his servants is this guy called Ittai. And David turns to him and says, Ittai, go home. You only showed up yesterday. David is basically with compassion saying, you don't need to do this. Death feels imminent. Destruction feels imminent. Ittai, go home. Take your family home. Take your people home. And Ittai turns to him. And says, wherever my king may be, whether in life or in death, there will I be also. In 2005, I got to go to Myanmar for four or five weeks or so. Of course, Myanmar has been in the news a lot, tragically so, the last three or four weeks or so. And as we were visiting different churches, we met with a young woman. Her name was Natrumi, and she was a follower of Jesus and also of the Karen tribe, which under the military leadership there was a deeply persecuted tribe. And she turned to my friend and she asked for prayer for protection. And he asked her, he said, Natrumi, if the military come for you, what will you do? And she said, whatever the price, I'm prepared to pay it. See, Ittai and Notrumi show us what it means to say, wherever my king may be, there will I be also, whether in life or whether in death. So church, this morning as we come to the end of this five-part series, I want to remind you of the invitation that we had at the beginning of five weeks ago that we said that you are his masterpiece. But for us to be men and women, not only created on purpose, but those who choose to live with purpose in every arena of life, we, we have to learn what it means to follow Jesus into the river, to lay ourselves down and to let his identity can be confirmed over us. We have to learn what it means to follow him into the wilderness, to say that even if all the kingdoms of the world are offered to you, you will choose the kingdom of God. And we have to learn ultimately to be a people who follow him into the garden and say, it's not my will, but your will that I want done. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the invitation of the life of Jesus to be men and women who give our lives over to you. God, you are a good king. And this morning we come and we bow and worship you on the throne. We give our lives over to you. We ask you, Father, to help us today to be reminded of how you've created us. Be reminded that we're masterpieces in your eyes. Be reminded that we were created to do good. Help us today through our fears, through our doubts, through our challenges to hold on to what you have for us. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.